You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Hey, hey, Jess O'Reilly here with the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. And I am joined today by sex positive therapist, Adam Marr from Moon Tower Counseling. Thanks for being here. Oh my goodness. Thank you for having me. And I've been following you on Instagram for some time, and I feel that you post so many pearls of wisdom on Instagram that I had to lure you in here (laughs) to dig a little bit deeper. And in fact, the other day, I reposted one of your posts on questions for a quick relationship check-in. Yeah. And I have never had so many saves on a post and sends. I love it. Hundreds of people sent this post to their friends. Hundreds saved it. As many people saved it as liked it. So that means that people really want to use your resource. So I thought I'd share. Thank you. These questions. So these stellar questions for a quick relationship check-in. Number one. When did you feel closest to me this week? Number two, when did you feel the most proud of us this week? Three, what challenges are you facing this week and how can I support you? Four, what are you most looking forward to this week? And finally, what new things are you learning about yourself? So I really appreciate these questions and clearly everybody else does too. How do you recommend people use a relationship check-in? Yeah, I look at it as if you are doing that maintenance on the regular, then it keeps like bigger issues from developing. So oftentimes, you know, we make these little uh, bends or moves for our partners and we go, oh, it's no big deal. I can like take a hit this time, but you take enough hits and it's really easy then to have resentment come up. So what this does is, is have a conversation that's like, what, what's going well? What do you want to see more of? Because people are more responsive to that. Right. So you're starting in a preventative way yeah, as opposed to a responsive way. Yeah. Oh, I really appreciate this. And how often do you recommend people do a relationship check-in? So I knew these questions pertain specifically to weekly. Is that what you recommend to clients? Yeah. I, I think about it even just doing like a text, what's up, how's your day? All that seems really insignificant, but really it's, it's a big deal. So if my, one of my partners has a rough day, I know that might not be the day to like bring up a conversation that could be challenging because they might not be able to be the listener that they would like to be. So are you suggesting that we should always be checking in with one <laughs> yes. another? Yes, updating your like Polaroid snapshot of who your partner or partners are because uh, that's going to keep you from having fights. I really appreciate these questions, not only to stave off the development of resentment, but also to steer the conversation away from the things we often talk about, like traffic Mm -hmm. and what happened at work. And if you have kids, your kids' bowel movements and all those other unsexy things and the mundane. And I think that's why a lot of my clients or a lot of my followers saved this post. So people can find you on Instagram because all of the content, all the stuff I want to discuss with you comes from your Instagram. And of course, Instagram gives us a, I don't know, a 2000 character limit. So you Mm -hmm. don't get to flush it out. No, I look at it like mini blogging. I remember hearing you talk about that in past episodes. And that's a way that I really connect with people is... 
go, cool, here's like something I'm working on. I'm sure a lot of other people are needing the support too. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And oftentimes when I'm on Instagram with other professionals, I'll see your posts and I'll think, oh, that's really useful to my clients. But what's exceptional about your profile is that so many of these posts, I think, oh, this would be so useful for people. But more importantly, this is really useful for me. It's really helpful for me and Brandon. And Brandon, unfortunately, couldn't be here. But one of your recent posts really stuck out to me. And this was your post about Jodo. Yes. J-O-D-O. And this is, again, on Moon Tower Counseling, and we're going to link to that. What is Jodo? So, you know, it is the joy of disappointing others. And here's the deal, Jess. (laughs) Being a queer person, I am automatically a disappointment to some people in my life. And that made me realize, like, I cannot please everyone. I can't always be on. I can't always be my best self. Sometimes I don't have anything in the tank. Sometimes I'm just not designed that way. So the people I love most, I'm often going to let down because they're spending the most time with me. Um, One way I think about relationships is, you know, we might find a partner and this is maybe the only person in our life that we pick to like be next to. And then we give the best of ourselves to strangers for eight hours a day at work and then come home and are empty and we just want to be taken care of and have no idea how to connect or any of that stuff. So it, it creates like this tension for a lot of people. I want to be the best for you, but I, I just can't. And if I can't just own that sometimes, if I don't track that, I'm gonna sometimes going to let you down. Um, and sometimes it's going to be the things that you love about me that let you down. So like I have a primary partner who is very much an introvert uh, and I am extrovert to the max. And, you know, he, he lets me be me. He celebrates me. And it's lovely and wonderful, but he is not a person who's ever going to be extroverted. And there is a part of me that is let down by that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of the beautiful thing of who he is. He lets me take up a lot of space in that relationship. Um, and so in, in Jodo, in this idea we're going to disappoint others, it then pushes us to go from one person has to be everything to, man, I can outsource some of these needs. I cannot tell you how many friends I have that are fantastic extroverts. And it takes the pressure off my, my partner from having to, to play that role. And then I come home and it's like, cool, I got to like go explore and express this part of myself because of you. And what happens for a lot of folks, this is what I see in, in sessions, with an idea that one person has to be everything, that means in that conflict, like he's either going to resentfully go out with me mm. and, and be done like he's not going to have energy or I'm going to resentfully stay in with him. And that's going to come out sideways at some point in time. I see that in so many couples, this expectation that, well, I have a need and you must be the person to fulfill that need. And you know, once in a while, Mm -hmm. that's fine. Sometimes you can come home and say, you know what? I would really appreciate if you could join me tonight, or I would really appreciate if you'd stay, stay in. I had a rough day and I could use your company, but there are 365 days in a year, thousands of days in a lifetime. And so that expectation just is so unrealistic. Do you find that most couples arrive at therapy or arrive at relationships with these unrealistic expectations that a partner, one partner in particular, (laughs) should fulfill all of their needs. I get a lot of folks who are exploring their sexuality for the first time. So maybe they've realized that their sexuality is more expansive and they need support to, to develop their sexual identity. And they're coming in with some of these myths. And I'm like, cool, just tell me how you, how did you come to that? And when you unpack it, it 
we, we outsource a lot of things. Like if you're in a monogamous relationship, you might go to uh, like Las Vegas with a group of girlfriends. And that can be emotionally fulfilling. And I think of friendship as a form of romantic love. So here's all this being seen and celebrated and having a good time. And in, in a lot of monogamous relationships, people would be like, that's okay. Like you, you're doing that with your girlfriends. It's friendship. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't recognize that they're outsourcing that. They wouldn't necessarily say, oh, I, I don't have a desire to do that or I can't give you that. And this group of people can. So go do it. Right. And I think it, it comes down to certain things being allowable. Mm-hmm. So for example, in my in my relationship people would look from the outside and say oh it's okay if Jess goes to Vegas with her girlfriends for the weekend but I do remember going to Ottawa which is the capital of Canada yes come on Canada (laughs) for Canada Day when I was younger with uh, with a friend of mine um, who's a guy and people made a big deal about it right Uh, and I remember someone in my husband's family saying well what is this girl going and doing and so certain things are allowable certain things aren't it's a very heteronormative expectation which doesn't in fact apply to me yeah and how I'm wondering how do we overcome this how do you get through let's start with yourself Mm -hmm. if you know your expectations of your partner are too high yeah if you maybe listen and something is triggered to help you realize that you know what i i do ask too much of them i do expect them to fulfill so many of my emotional practical social sexual needs how do you overcome that expectation to begin with yeah i think the things that are really important for people really are uh, folks looking for what i would call a corrective experience so for me Like I was in the closet. I was not expressing my sexuality for a very long time. So just being me and going out and celebrating me now is super important. And so, you know, in the beginning stages of this relationship, I've been with this partner for over 10 years. I would I would fall into the trap of if you really loved me, then you would do this, which is a trap because the person can turn around and say, well, if you really love me, you won't expect this of me. And so there's no solution. <laughs> yeah. And really, I had, to, I had to slow down and go, why is this so important to me? What is it about going out and being seen and, and doing a lot of things uh, and having high energy fun? And I was like, oh, I denied myself this for so long that it is a way to make it up to like 10 year old me. Mm. And so... It moved from, why are you not enough for me or do you truly love me to, I really want to express this part of myself and it's deeply meaningful and can you join me or give me space to go do that with people who also want to celebrate themselves. How do we rewrite that script of, if you really love me then? What do we replace that with? Yeah, I think of it as um, looking at these attributes that make us great, sometimes that's that's where we trip up, that's where we have the challenge. So. I love that my husband lets me take up a lot of space and talk a lot, uh, but sometimes I really need him to give me input. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> and so I, I had to go like, oh, here's what's up. Usually this thing is really lovely about our partnership, and right now it's challenging because I really need your input, and it's just not a space you're used to going into. So in addition to Jodo, which I've seen on your Instagram profile, I remember you writing another time that the attributes that make us wonderful often make us challenging as well. And that's what you're talking about right now. The things that might attract you to your partner in the beginning and that you do really love about them can become sources 
of conflict. So if we were to talk, for example, about extroversion, mm -hmm. so I'm a little like you, I always want to be out, I've got major FOMO, it doesn't matter if I have a flight at 6am, I definitely want to go, I, I play sports, go play in my game, and then I want to go for drinks after, and then I want to probably get fast food. And it can be an issue mm -hmm. that, for example, Brandon, my partner, would rather stay home. Now, I'm lucky that he gives me a ton of space. I would say he's lucky because I'm not even asking him to come because mm -hmm. I know he doesn't want fast food or drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we manage these attributes that are both positive but can also be a source of conflict? Yeah, so that is where I really look towards where people can be flexible and inflexible. So if I understand exactly where you're inflexible and what that's about, then we can work from there to build compromise. So maybe you're okay, you know, maybe Brandon's okay going to the sporting event. I'm all like sports. What is that? I'm getting <laughs> the sports thing. Uh, yeah, the sports ball. <laughs> well, let, let me just not, I was leaving out the part that it's ultimate Frisbee because usually Brandon would be here to make fun of me and I can feel Adam already Rightly so. stepping in <laughs> to make fun. I have, I have an ultimate injury right oh, now. Is that what they're called? Yeah. Well, no, it's I, the sport is called. Ultimate. I know, but I'm like, not, please I, tell me that's like what they call it. No, ultimate injury. I don't know. It's an injury. I got at <laughs> ultimate. So my thumb is wrapped up all blue and I've had to wrap it up because Adam and I are at a conference together and if anyone shakes my hand yeah. it kills yeah and that's your slamming arm i heard <laughs> i don't know what they call it clearly never <laughs> seen the sport and neither have 99 percent of yes. you so so he could perhaps come to the sport yeah. you and, and instead <laughs> having the boundary of i can go watch watch you disc it up <laughs> and then i'm gonna like head out before you go to drinks with the team right so cool, I, I just don't want to stay out all night. So mm -hmm. like understanding that's the inflexible part. I mm -hmm. can't be out all night, but mm -hmm. I can be out for a portion of it. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, cool. Well, I would love to have you for that. And the other, the, I think the, the thing that is really the saving grace in a lot of relationship nonsense is it's really about this uh, idea of intention. I'm not going to be perfect or great, but do I have good intentions? Do you see me doing the best I can with what I got? Do you appreciate who I am? You know, sometimes people come in and, and want their partner to have this massive shift of a change. And I'm like, I think you're expecting a cat to bark. <laughs> like someone's... Oh, you mean like those people who tell me their cat is really like a dog? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know those? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's going to write me an angry email oh my on gosh. that one. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Dear Dr. Jess. <laughs> my cat is like a dog. <laughs> but like, you know, expecting Brandon to become an extrovert overnight that's that's not likely to happen and so it's going like cool this is this is what it means to you and this is how it actually is really wonderful and beautiful and then the times when he does pour in and says hey i can bite the bullet and go out with you tonight we can disc it up um <laughs> I'm such a bitch sometimes. Uh, salty. Very salty. salty. Yeah. Uh, when he does that, it's going to be much more meaningful. Yeah, that that's so true. When someone goes out of their way for you and does something because they realize that it's valuable to you, it makes such a difference. Now, when I think about differentiating between asking your partner for something versus asking your partner to change. Mm -hmm. I often differentiate between changing a behavior, like would you mind not leaving your towel on the floor, <laughs> which seems reasonable perhaps, yeah. versus change asking them to change a core part of their personality. Yeah. I want you to be more social. I want you to be more energetic <laughs> when my family comes around. 
And I think people have difficulty differentiating between behavior and, I don't know if it's personality or character or core components of who you are. And so I wonder if there's something, and I'm just thinking here, that maybe you do with your clients or that people can do on their own to assess and say, is my request fair? Am I asking for something reasonable that's easy for them to do for me or am I asking for a really core shift how, how can we how can we differentiate between the two yeah I think some of this is is challenging just simply because the world is chaotic and that chaos then influences how how we manage our lives so I can usually be good enough for my husband uh, at cleaning up okay but when things get really hectic for me I might let those things fall to the wayside and then he might get frustrated and has to tell me what's up. So it's some of it's recognizing that like, Hey, I'm kind of built this way. I realize this is meaningful to you. I will put intention on it. And then sometimes I'm going to be so stretched. I can't give it the intention that usually helps our system run. Mm -hmm. Um, now things that are just core parts of our identity, then it's really going this like line of when do I challenge you to grow as an individual and where do I say, this is, this is who you are right now, and I have to either value this or deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be really hard, I think, especially in this era of, of time, like the political environment that we have going on. There is this notion that if you have empathy or understanding, like you give up your position. If you, if you say, hey, I, I need this from you, that you can be seen as needy mm-hmm. uh, and not like independent mm-hmm. in this it's so easy for things to just flare up for folks and moving out of all that to you can just be you and you're doing the best that you can with what you got. Right. Do I, do I think you wake up each morning and like rub your hands together maniacally (laughs) and go, how am I going to fuck up his day today? (laughs) Or do I think, you know, you're human, you're doing the best you can. You move towards pleasure away from pain. And sometimes that's going to bump into me. Mm -hmm. And the times I really react, it's probably hitting some old wound, from growing up, from other relationships, from my own insecurities. And so I call it like, if you go from zero to motherfucker, <laughs> then it's likely deeper than the moment. Right. And so I or use Or it. it's just my hormones. It's <laughs> yes. W- one day every 29 days, I go from zero to MF. Yes. And I have to catch myself. Can I say something about this, Jess? This is, I recognize that I am mostly male. Um, But here is the deal. Like my grad school program did not teach me anything about how hormones can affect people and their functioning. And that is a lot of what I talk about in therapy with femme folks is like, oh, wow, you're having a rough day. It sounds like this and this and this. And then they put it together and they're like, it's just what's going on with my hormones right now. Mm -hmm. And it happens to people of all genders and it may not be on the same type of cycle. Yeah. But I notice that. First of all, I feel more needy mm-hmm. right before I get my period. I need a lot more affection and attention and patience. And I have zero patience to give. The thing I notice that sets me off is if the house is even a little bit messy or dirty. And most of you have not been to my house. But I have a pretty open door policy, so some of y'all probably have. Uh, I like to keep it very, very clean. The coffee machine is lined up at a 45 degree angle. The coffee grinder, the only other item that is allowed on the kitchen counter, is also at a 45 degree angle. And if there's one little speck of dirt on the floor, I can feel myself Mm -hmm. flying off the handle. Not on the outside, because I do know there are people around me, but on the inside, I'm like, what the hell is... And then I, of course, have to remind myself, 
that I, first of all, I'm in a house and I'm very lucky to be in this home mm-hmm. and that the people around me don't deserve the wrath. And so once I recognize it, it's enough for me to see how ridiculous it is. Yeah. And, and not ridiculous in that I'm not feeling it. Like it's a valid. It's how you express that feeling, what you do with it. So ah, I have a ton of shoes. And one time my husband was like, you need to move your shoes. And I was <laughs> like, because <laughs> being rebellious is what saved me from from ending my life as a, a teen, right? As a queer kid who was like closeted and, and very much in the God squad, uh, learning to be rebellious saved me. And that and just invited like my rebellious self to come out. And I said, I think you're correct. And the way you just said that invites me to be rebellious rather than, you know, I think if you said, hey, I really need to get to my things and I can't get them because your things are in the way. Can you get them out of the way? I was like, my care and love for you would get me off this couch like in a hot second because I want you to feel like you can just relax and be in your, your own space. So it's really challenging because it's the same message. It's all about marketing. <laughs> it is. And we, and we can't always be reasonable. No. Right? Like people no. like you and, you and me who might have more information, who might see more cases, who might be expected to be more self-aware, we aren't always. No. Oh, the worst is when I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, bitch, she bought the ticket. She's going on the ride. <laughs> I call it an out-of-body experience when I catch myself acting either out of character and acting in a way that I know I'm going to have to apologize for in a mm-hmm. moment or maybe the next day because it takes me so long. You know, which which brings me to another one of your posts related to conflict. Mm-hmm. You posted that conflict can lead to connection because when you opt to engage in conflict, you're saying, you know what, I care about this relationship enough. I care about you enough that I'm going to put both of us through this uncomfortable tense moment because I believe that on the other side we come out either with better understanding or with the capacity to adjust our behavior moving forward or with some other insight that improves the relationship. So I wonder in your in your practice, do you run into couples who claim that they've never had a fight? Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's the nightmare, oh, yeah. it's the nightmare right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're both conflict avoidant. So there's all this resentment and pleasantness on the surface and unspoken need. And for a lot of those folks, that stuff comes out sideways. So there could be secrets going on that people aren't talking about. Oftentimes I see folks uh, secretly having solo sex in those situations. So I can't have conflict. I don't know how to ask for sex. I don't want to stir the pot, so I'm going to just secretly go masturbate and, and feel a slice of shame about that. And, you know, those couples come in because they're usually not having sex. Mm. So the, and the conflict avoidance leads to the building of resentment, which would lead, and of course, if you're resentful, you don't want to have sex with someone. Yeah. Well, and then just asking for what you might want is conflict. Hey, I'm really feeling like this. What are you feeling like doing? That, that could lead to a potential what's wrong with you or no or oh, not tonight, I'm tired. And people who are, can be really conflict avoidant, that, that in itself could be too much. How do you push yourself to engage in conflict if yeah. you are conflict avoidant? In a relationship, especially around sex, uh, folks are monogamous. This is what I tell them. You know, you picked one person on this planet to do this one activity with. What kind of sense does it make not to talk about it with them. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get really uncomfortable and that is okay because I'm here and I, I'm here to help guide this very challenging conversation because a lot of folks have not had you know, adequate training in how to express their sexuality. 
So they got pictures of STIs. (laughs) They know how to avoid syphilitic bananas. (laughs) (laughs) We're going back to sex ed that is very much lacking, which Adam and I have been talking about earlier today offline. Yeah. So it, it, it leads to folks not knowing how to then navigate this really complex thing, which is our sexuality, because it changes moment to moment. What I liked yesterday might be different today. There might be core parts of my sexual constellation that I keep coming back to, but we don't know until we check in. And that could lead to uh, not now, or I don't want that, or that's not for me. A lot of folks, you probably see this, where people just say she or he or they never want to do it. Mm-hmm. And the, the question I ask at that is like, well, what's it? Because mm-hmm. I'm not there. Mm-hmm. And you can like hear a pin drop. And I'm like, so you're sitting here blaming this person for the lack of sexual connection in your life, and you can't even tell me what type of sex you would like to have. So what's really the problem here? It isn't you or them. It's really sexual communication. Right. And there is this tendency when there is a sex problem to put it on your partner. Yeah. Because it is just so scary to acknowledge that we all have wounds to heal and issues to overcome and resentment that we need to let go because your partner can't really help you to let go of resentment what about people who are just resentful about life maybe they feel they do more in life or they feel that the the division of labor is unfair and that's leading to not only resentment but probably a lack of sex how how do they even begin to let that resentment go yeah so i think of resentment as really making space for this awkward conversation where you go cool, here's the deal. I, I'm really longing for this. So underneath every resentment, there's a deep longing. This is like my Gottman training coming out um, and getting people to talk about that longing and what is it like when they have that longing met. That really softens the conversation for, for relationships and makes space then for people to show up. Because sometimes people have no idea what they're even longing for. Yeah, I think oftentimes a lack of sexual communication isn't just about the skills themselves. It's that we've never been given the opportunity or taken the opportunity to really reflect on what we want sexually. Yeah. Right? If I were to say, what are your sexual values? Most people have never answered that question. Yeah. And the idea that sex is beyond just the physical. So I get a lot of people who are like, I just like this one thing. And I'm like, so what do you want emotionally or mentally? Or what do you want in like the connection? Because I wouldn't say spiritually because I have too much spiritual damage from growing up uh, gay in a Christian church. Um, and they're like, what? What do you mean? And then I have to like break it down more. Like, do you want things to be like high fantasy? Do you want to like go into a space where you work together as a team to create this moment and you get to like have great teamwork? Like you took on this sexual problem together or like, you're, you know, some people really into impact play and maybe they want a toy that makes a certain sound and you have to like go ahead and figure out how do you turn something into a pervertible to make that certain sound. We have to do some definitions here. I'm so so sorry. No, that's okay. So just for folks who don't know, I know many of you do, but a pervertible is a car that you drive. Just kidding. Pervertible (laughs) is dad joke. (laughs) He's got four kids. (laughs) A pervertible is taking an everyday item and turning it into an item for pleasure. Like a microphone. (laughs) My gosh. And you just said that as I'm like face deep in mind. That made me laugh. (laughs) So when folks come to you and they're no longer having sex and one partner wants sex and the other doesn't, where do you usually begin? Yeah, I, I usually start by asking like how long it's been this way. What is the story they tell themselves around it? 
because oftentimes they're coming in with some myths of, of what this means. And I see, you know, unfortunately, a lot of folks come in and try to make porn the problem. And I'm like, oh, honey, porn is not the problem. Let's talk about that. <laughs> and I don't know if we've, we haven't done a full episode on this, but porn gets scapegoated yeah. as the problem when porn is often the symptom. Yeah. To me, tell you how I bust people up on this. Oh, Dr. Yeah. Jess, you're going to like love this. Go. So someone will be like, well, you know, they're addicted to this and that and you know, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you think it would be like if you made your own porn together? So they had a video to enjoy that's you and your partner. And they're like, oh no, I could never do that. I'm like, so it's not really about the, the video. Like this is more about you and the stories you tell yourself in this. This is, this is about you as an individual. So, you know, what is it to, to pick porn? And porn, like, here's why I love porn. One, it's really easy. So if you don't want to go through these steps of engaging and doing consent and all that, it's a lot of work. I get it. You know, porn's never going to ask me to douche before I, like, get into it. It's going to be like, Adam, what you want, girl? Right. I'm here for you. Right. You don't have to shave. Nope. You don't have to shower. Yeah. You and don't have to buy a dinner. You don't have to do anything uh -huh. but just be there. And it's a great tool for that. What happens for a lot of folks is, you know, especially like conflict avoidant folks or people who have heard no too many times and don't know how to negotiate a no. Uh, they turn to like just solo sex using porn and all of a sudden it's like, oh, so this is what's been going on. This is, this is the problem. You, you haven't found the way to connect with me. So you're, you're using porn and that's, that's the issue. When in fact the issue preexisted. Yeah. It's the communication. Porn. Right. Yeah. And we, we, just so you know, porn addiction has been rejected as a formal diagnosis by the APA, it's not included in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Yeah. ASEC um, came out against it. Okay, so that's our American Association of Sexual Educators and Counselors and, and Therapists. Yes. You a member? Or teachers. I have, no, no, I'm not. Me neither. <laughs> it's too. Uh, uh, grad school is expensive, right. Dr. Jess. And we're not even going to get into the politics <laughs> of ASEC here because I don't think um, most folks are, are concerned about it. Yeah. So. When we think about resentment in relationships, yes. if you are feeling resentful, resentful right now, what can you do to just begin to let go of that resentment? It is shifting to appreciation. Hmm. So can I appreciate the little things that you're doing? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you get up and go to the kitchen and, and ask me if I want anything, right? Resentment could, could really build over time. And over time, resentment is going to turn into contempt. So if I don't feel like you hear me, or think of me. And that could be that you, you literally tell me you don't want to talk about something or I can't find my voice to express it. I'm scared I'm going to rock the boat too much. So I build all this resentment. So eventually it's going to be like, you don't hear me. You don't hear me. You don't hear me. You're just a monster. <laughs> you don't care about me. And it's easy to get into that narrative real hard. And that narrative then poisons the well. So then you bring flowers and well, those are the kind your ex used to like. Mm. Those, those aren't my favorite color. And it's this idea that like nothing's going to be good enough. So it's moving towards appreciation. Cool. You really thought of me and, and got flowers. And I appreciate that so much. And so, you know, for next time, carnations are trash. Well, <laughs> doesn't everybody not love a carnation? That was actually exactly what came to my mind. I, yeah. I can't wait for like the flower board to write you. You're going to get like a lot of letters. Uh, lot you of you overestimate who listens to this podcast. I said letters like it's the 1800s. <laughs> 
And you know what the thing about carnations is? Oh, what? They never die. Yeah, they right? last forever. If you get a bouquet and there are three carnations in it, the roses died last week. The chrysanthemums died the next week. And that carnation looks like it's brand new. It's like the inorganic (laughs) fruit that is perfectly round and shiny and always looking, well, as good as it gets. I mean, of course, all flowers or any gesture is, you know, it's thoughtful. I really appreciate the move toward appreciation. So if you're listening, I challenge you to think about right now one thing. Maybe you subconsciously appreciate about your partner, but you haven't allowed to bubble to the surface because you're holding on to a resentment and a feeling of resentment or maybe because you don't want to acknowledge it because sometimes we don't acknowledge and appreciate our partners because we don't feel we live up to them yeah it's hard so why don't we start there you think of one thing you appreciate about your partner think of one thing you appreciate about yourself one thing that makes you a good partner when i do some of the couples workshops uh, that i facilitate we often begin with one thing I'm doing well in this relationship Mm -hmm. and one thing you're doing well and then one thing we're doing well together. And then when we move on to growth, we always begin with ourselves. What is one thing I could do differently in this relationship? And I would say, you know, nine out of 10 or maybe 18, 19 out of 20 people will focus on themselves and really say, yeah, you know what? This is what I could do. And then there's the one who cannot understand what I'm I, asking, they're like, oh, but she always does this, or he never does that, and she always says no, and I'm thinking, I'm not even asking about nah. that. Pretend they're not even a part of this equation. If you cannot begin with you, you really can't affect change in your relationship. When I get those folks, you know, they're like a visitor to therapy, and I say, cool, what's the least amount of change you think would have to happen to get your partner off your back? Hmm. And they're like, I don't know. I could pick up my socks. Brilliant. <laughs> Try it. That sounds really hard. <laughs> yeah. And so then like they might do it and their partner's like, oh, you're picking up your socks now. Thank you. And it softens things a little bit. Can you say that question again? What is the least? What's the least amount of change that you think would have to happen to get your partner off your back? Oh, okay. I appreciate that too. <laughs> I, I There are so many pearls of wisdom as, as we're chatting. I'm jotting down a few notes. Um, but so much more to talk about from Jodo to the corrective experience to replacing the script of if you really love me to letting go of resentment and to uh, replacing that resentment with appreciation. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Folks can find you online on Instagram at Moontower underscore counseling. Yes, that is correct. And what's your website? My website is MoontowerCounseling.com. Awesome. And for the Canadians, there's just one L in counseling. I love it. It's been so great chatting with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You are a vision and a treasure. Thank you to you for listening. And thank you to Desire Resorts. Make sure you check them out on Instagram and all social media at Desire Resorts experience folks wherever you're at i hope you're feeling good you rock have a great one you're listening to the sex with dr jess podcast improve your sex life improve your life